Hello, everybody. This is Rich Sports Talk, broadcasting on SoundCloud, the TuneIn Radio app, and, of course, available for download on Speaker and iTunes. You can remember to follow and subscribe us on our YouTube page and Facebook page and Twitter account, all under the handle Rich Sports Talk. Going to talk about Game 1, the NBA Finals. Of course, I know you're all dying to hear my opinion of J.R. Smith at the end of the game, but I want to talk about something before I get into J.R., I promise. That's coming up. That's on deck. I'm going to start with a turning point in the game. Now, I'm not one that blames the officials, and I'm going to preface this by saying the referees do not decide the outcome of a game, but they can have an impact. What many of you may not know about me is that on the side, I do a lot of basketball refing. I also do some lacrosse and football, but I am a basketball referee. And sometimes it's not the nature of the call, it's how you get to the call. And last night we saw a great example of not necessarily a bad call, but the process was bad. We've seen it in the NFL with instant replay. Even though these refs are falling into the rule, I think a lot of refs now in professional sports are so trained to go to the replay, it's almost an instinct. Like They don't have conviction in their call. If there's any doubt, they want to go to the replay. And when they go to the replay... They're looking to find something to overturn. I mean, we've seen this in the NFL with the touchdown catches along the goal line. I think that replay is a great tool. But I've always been of the mindset that unless you can 100% equivocally see a change in the call, that you missed a call, do not overturn it. You shouldn't be looking to overturn a call. You're looking for 100% like, I missed the knee down out of bounds. Last night with 40 seconds, there was a charge called on Kevin Durant on LeBron James. Now, there were two calls on the court. The referee under the basket called a charge. The referee on the back end called a blocking foul on LeBron James. I don't have an issue either way with the call. What I have an issue with is the process which ended up with the call. By the NBA rulebook, and I made sure to research this today, The only way a charge foul can be reviewed on video is to see if the player is in the charge circle under the basket. Now, there's two things with this call. Number one, LeBron James was not clearly near that circle. He was more near the free throw line than under the basket. And more importantly, when you see that he is not in that circle... You have to keep the call on the court. However, the call was reversed. Even though replay is not supposed to be used only to see if that defensive player is in that circle, which he wasn't. Now, was it a bad call? Charging fouls, those could I could have seen that going either way, to be honest with you. I don't have a problem with the call going either way. It's the process of where we got to the call. If the referees met on the court and discussed and decided, okay, it was a blocking foul, I'm okay with that. But to go to a replay where you could even hear the analysts and the referees that they had on the broadcast, all with varying opinions. Oh, it could be a charge, it could be a block, it was 50-50. But once again, with replay, we fall into this trap 
where the purpose of replay is unless you can clearly see that it was a different call, the call stands. And the call on the court was a charge. Now you can look at that replay a bunch of different ways. A bunch of different ways. And each angle gives you something a little bit differently. There's no evidence to overturn that call, number one. And number two, you shouldn't even be going to the replay on that call. The rest came together and made a split decision and made the turnover call. I get it. I understand they're changing the call. But the whole purpose of the replay for a charge is to see if LeBron would have been in that circle, and he wasn't. And this was a crucial call. Now, I will be the first to say it did not cost the Cavs the game. But it was a huge call for this reason. The Cavs were up two points and would have gotten the ball back with 40 seconds. If the Cavaliers could have knocked off 20-odd seconds and even gotten two points, it becomes a two-possession game for Golden State. It changes the entire dynamic of the game. Instead, it gives Kevin Durant a chance for free throws, and the rest is history. But I will say this. For people saying it was the ref's fault that cost the Cavs the game, it wasn't. There was a lot of other factors in this game. There was a lot of other factors in this game. And listen, if I can see both refs uh, uh, on that call, I could see being a charge. I could see also being a blocking foul. But my biggest problem with that whole thing, and which is becoming a big problem in professional sports, is referees are becoming so dependent on these replays. And they're forgetting what the purpose of replay is supposed to do. Replay, if it unless you have 100% confirmation that it is a different call on the field or on the playing court, you keep the call. I think now that we look at replay and we try to find every little detail and saying, well, it was a little bit here, it could be here. There's so much grayer with these replays, and I think this is what drives fans nuts because if you don't have the evidence to clearly overturn the call, you keep it. And this is one of the rules... I've proposed for replay for the NFL on a challenge to help speed up the game. I believe that the replay should be either a minute or 30 seconds. The referee goes under the hood. If he cannot clearly overturn that call in 30 seconds, then the call stands. If it takes a referee under a hood in football to see a call for three minutes to say, well, I think it could be this call, the system is wrong. It has to be, oh, I missed that this foot was out of bounds because it was a bad overturn. The call did not stand. That's something completely wrong that the ref might have seen, not seen from their viewpoint was overturned. Now we've gotten into the point where every call is nitpicked to the point where they look for one minor detail that could overturn a call or keep a call on the field instead of saying, okay, here's the call on the field or the court. Do we see evidence, clear evidence, that overturns the call? If you don't see clear evidence that overturns the call, you have to keep it on. So in that case, it would have been a charge on Kevin Durant. 
But more importantly, I think we're getting to the point where replays are there to help the refs, but I think they're almost using them too much of a crutch. Because the whole purpose of replay in that situation was to see if he was in the circle. When he's not in the circle, okay, that's it for the replay. I think refs now, they want to use replay on every single call, and it slows the game down. So I just wanted to get into that first before I got into J.R. Smith, because I'm of the opinion that, especially with replay, we've gotten to the point where you have to use it smart, and I, I, I've i been a, a proponent of this, because it takes way too long with some of these replays, 30 seconds for any sport when you view a replay. If you cannot clearly overturn the call in 30 seconds, the call stands. Because you need clear evidence. If you cannot clearly see that it was the wrong call in 30 seconds, or that it should be overturned in 30 seconds, call in the field stands, let's move on. Keep the game moving. You know what? We can dissect it after the game, but unless you can clearly see something that would overturn the call, I think we're getting to the point where we're nitpicking too much. The whole point of replay is to make sure that a clearly incorrect call is overturned. I think now we're getting to the point where we're trying to dissect in milliseconds and centimeters if a call is right or wrong. 30 seconds, okay, I can clearly see that was the wrong call, overturned, or I can't really see anything, call in the field stands. Which gets us to J.R. Smith. Now, this was a situation where J.R. Smith, after the game, made the comments that he knew the score. But I'm sorry, when your head coach and all your teammates and even guys on the other team basically made it known that you didn't know the score, JR, this is this was a huge mistake. And this has been JR Smith's ML. Great in small dosage, but eventually drives his teams nuts. Did in Denver, did in New York. And now he's doing it in Cleveland. I was one of these guys that said, when J.R. Smith signed that big extension, I thought it was a huge mistake. Because he's one of those guys that, for spurts, maybe it's a week or two, maybe it's a month or a half a season, he's great. But in his career, he's only been a short spurt guy. Overall, he's been aloof. He's been a guy that has been extremely hot at times, but mostly cold and does not have a high basketball IQ, and we saw it last night. Because I don't care what JR says. JR can say, well, you know, I, I knew the score was, was tied. Just anyone who knows anything about basketball just watches that play and just watches his body language. He was running out to half court. He wasn't even taking behind the arc. He almost ran over the half court line. What's the situation you do that in? It's when you have a lead and you get an offensive rebound, you're trying to run out the clock. And you can see LeBron James, whose feet from him, screaming at him to pass in the ball. Now, some people I've heard today have gone on LeBron and Tyron Lue about not calling a timeout in that situation. But it was such a quick bang-bang play. That when you saw him taking out, you're like, okay, he's taking out to kick it out to LeBron. And when he finally 
Zelda coming out, there was about two seconds left on the clock. And I get what Tyron Lue was doing. In that situation, you're hoping that there's a big defensive breakdown by Golden State or in that panic mode or in that scramble, they're going to leave a guy wide open. Because if you call timeout there, you're going to give Kerr a chance to organize a defense. You don't have a timeout afterwards, so you worry about the five-second violation on the inbound pass. There's a lot of different factors. So I agree with letting them play through. But JR, it was you have to have awareness in these games. And it's simple. You look up at the scoreboard. You have to be thinking about a play before it happens. When you're standing on that line, you have to be thinking, okay, if he makes, what's my defensive assignment? Okay, if he misses and I get the ball, what am I doing with it? Clearly, J.R. Smith wasn't thinking. And this is a guy who, don't forget, in the middle of a game went over to talk to someone on a defensive bench in a regular season game. He is aloof, and he cost this team a game. Because LeBron James had one of the greatest final game performances we've ever seen. Carried this team. Kevin Durant and Curry were good, but they weren't great last night. Golden State did not have a great game, in my opinion. And you had a chance to steal game one in Golden State. And think about what it does mentally to both teams. Golden State didn't play that well and they won a game. And for Cleveland, it has to be devastating. Because think about this. You had LeBron playing an absolutely incredible offensive game. And you had multiple chances to put Golden State away. And you had a chance on the road to sneak game one in a series where a lot of people have been telling you that you'll be lucky to win a game or make it competitive. And you had a chance to put some doubt in Golden State's mind in game one saying, hey, this Cleveland team, they're harder to handle than we thought. But guess what happened? Jared Smith had one of the biggest gaps I've ever seen in a finals game. And you gave Golden State opportunities. And they do what they do best. When they're given extra opportunities, they make you pay. And then that overtime, we saw what Golden State does. Move the ball, get open shots, and drain big threes. Cleveland did everything right in this game. They survived the third quarter storm. No team in the NBA is better than the third quarter, and this has been their M.O., it's almost like a boxer for this Golden State team. You know, jabbing in the first half, feeling out their opponents, kind of seeing what their defenses are. And then when that third quarter hits, they just come out throwing three-point haymakers. How many times did we see it in the Houston series? How many times have we see in this postseason, in this regular season? They are a great third quarter team because they make their adjustments at halftime. They know what the defense is doing, and they just come out and they bury teams. And Cleveland hung in there. LeBron had an absolutely incredible game. Kevin Love had a good game. And I thought defensively, the Cavs did a very good job limiting Golden State's chances and were great on the offensive glass. They had a lot of extra chances because they did a great job on the offensive glass in this game. But think about this. 
I did not think it was a good performance by Golden State, and they ended up winning. I thought Cleveland, to be honest with you, I thought that was one of their best postseason performances. It was certainly one of LeBron's best as a team. I thought they played incredibly well. And I think it's going to be a blowout in game two because I think mentally, Cleveland's got to be demoralized. And for Golden State, it's got to be invigorating. Think about it. Think about the luck Golden State has had in these last two weeks. Physically getting beat up by the Houston Rockets. Going down 3-2. to two, And the player that has killed them, that entire series, Chris Paul, leaves with a hamstring injury. And not only that, in Game 7, the Houston Rockets have the worst three-point shooting performance in playoff history. They had a streak of over 20 misses from three-point land. Then comes Cleveland. LeBron has one of the best performances in finals history. They take you to the wire in your home building. They have a chance to make two free throws to end the game. They miss the second. They get the offensive rebound. And J.R. Smith loses his mind and tries to dribble out the clock in a tie game. And just think about everything that has broken right for the Warriors. And they have not played that well. I mean, this is one of the... uh, You look at Golden State last year and this year, this team is not firing on all cylinders. I think Curry's still banged up. Durant has been hot and cold in this postseason. I mean, they also got lucky too. Klay Thompson went down early in this game. And Klay Thompson, to me is the most valuable warrior. Now people say, well, wait a minute. Kevin Durant and Curry are better offensively. That's true, but Thompson, to me, he's my favorite Golden State Warrior up with Draymond because they do the dirty work. Thompson is a great defender. He's their best two-way player by a mile. And Draymond Green's a tough guy, but Thompson is the most unappreciated third guy, I think, in NBA history. He's a guy that can score, play great defense, And he's the only guy, did you know this, during this four-year run for the Golden State Warriors, he's the only guy who has not missed a postseason game. Just think about that. Curry's missed games, Durant's missed games, Draymond Green's missed games, although mostly because of his own suspensions. But Thompson, to me, I mean, he's the quiet guy that really, he's the glue of this team because he plays very well both ways. He's a great defender. And he's a huge matchup nightmare as that third guy. He goes down early and he comes right back. I was thinking to myself, if Thompson's done for this series, I mean, I still think Golden State is miles ahead of Cleveland, but it just got interesting. Because Durant, this postseason, has not played good defense. He's almost an invisible seven-footer, which is impossible in the NBA. Curry is not a great defender. And Draymond Green's a tough guy, but he sometimes has trouble defending that perimeter. So I was thinking, man, this could really be a good blow for Cleveland. But nope, comes right back, has a big game. And if you're Cleveland, this has to be frustrating. And... 
we'll get into this more in the next couple weeks. I think it's going to be a very interesting topic on this podcast is I think how this series unfolds will really determine how LeBron James used this offseason. If Cleveland can somehow take this to six games and be competitive, I think he might have a better shot of staying in Cleveland because then he might say, you know, if I bring in Paul George, this could be a a move that puts us over the top. If they get blown out in the next couple of games and it's not close because Golden State gets rolling, I think Houston becomes attractive because they took Golden State to the brink. And keep this in mind. There was a report out yesterday. Chris Paul is already actively recruiting LeBron James to Houston. Season's not already over, and Houston's already recruiting LeBron. And it's a good pitch. Chris Paul will get be the point guard, will help set you up for good at shots. You got James Harden, who will be this year's MVP. He'll go to a team that took this Warrior team to the brink. And if Chris Paul played in those last two games, I think had a great shot to beat this Golden State Warrior team. If it's a longer series, maybe a team like Philadelphia could get into it. Although I think that they've shot themselves in the foot with that whole scandal with the general manager. So I don't think LeBron will want to go there because he's already in an environment where with Gilbert that he's not exactly a fan of the owner with trust. But I will say this, Boston could be very interesting. A lot of young talent, and if it's about winning rings for LeBron, could be an interesting place for him to end up. And keep this in mind, too. If he goes to another team and wins a title, gets to another two or three finals, it's going to be hard to keep putting Michael ahead of him because he's going to blow Michael away in every statistical category. And nobody in NBA history has gone to three different franchises and won a ring. We've had two in Miami, one in Cleveland, and possibly one or two if he goes to another franchise. So this NBA Finals is not only great drama for on the court, but what happens on this court, pay very close attention because it could determine where LeBron James ends up this offseason. That's going to do it for this episode of Rich Sports Talk. We're going to be talking a lot about the NHL, Stanley Cup, and the NBA Finals over the next few weeks. If you'd like all the latest, remember to follow and subscribe. You can hear us, of course, on SoundCloud, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, and available for download on iTunes. I'm Nolan Rich. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, this is Rich Sports Talk.